of years ago, um, my the love of my life and I, we went to uh, serve for a year in the rural provinces of um, Zambia and Uganda. And we spent a year there. But when we first arrived, we wanted to experience the culture. And because we'd seen it on SBS, um, you know, which stands for Sex Before Soccer. And, um, <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we, uh, we thought, well, where, where could we go to get some authentic, you know, traditional um, culture? And, and we saw a sign um, um, at the Sheraton. There was a, a, a show. And we, and we thought, no, we, we don't want some artificial thing. We want the real deal. And so we decided to take ourselves off to a church service in the, in the, in the rural provinces um, to hear some of their singing and, and dancing. And it was everything that we anticipated it to be. The, the rich, um, harmonious voices, the, the rhythm and the, and the dancing was just uh, amazing until one gentleman um, got up at the front and said, and now we will have a song and dance from our Mzungu, which means white people, brother and sister, all the way from Australia. And I looked at my wife and she looked at me. I'm like, say what? Like, what? Hank, and... and they ushered us up the front. Now, you've got to understand, we came from completely different church backgrounds. And I, I didn't know any of the songs that she knew. I, she didn't know any of the songs that, that I knew. Um, we weren't um, married at the time. We were, we were, we were just dating, getting, getting to know each other. So it's just like we're on mission, um, deployed. And so I, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't, uh, what, I didn't, what, do you know which like, song? And she's like, and one person in the audience starts going, and, be, and pretty soon, everyone chimes, everyone's clapping, everyone's dancing, except for these two white people in the front who can't dance. And I don't know what happened, but deep from within came this little tiny voice. Once a jolly swagman, campfire billabong. <laughs> and she chimed in with, under the shade of a cooler butcher. And we sung this rustic rendition of Walsing Matilda. And thank God no one had any clue about what we were singing. Because were we singing about the saviour? No. We're singing about some homeless guy who steals a sheep and kills himself at the end of the song. Not, not entirely what they were expecting. But I walked away from that that experience because it was stressful. It was very stressful. Like, and I and I remember thinking, isn't it interesting? If you operate by principles, you don't have to be perfect. And and, and if you just understand the principle, make a joyful noise, sing a new song <laughs> unto the Lord. Okay, it might not be about the Lord, but it's unto the Lord. We're doing the best we can. And and so let's just operate by principle. What do they want? They want a song from the, the other culture that's represented in the room. And when you live your life by principles as opposed to always looking for the facts or the figures, or the, um, it's interesting because things start to take a more positive shift. You are able to go places um, faster and achieve greater systematic change in your life as opposed to always waiting till you've got all of the information, dotting all the I's and dotting all, crossing all the T's. If... I've learned anything in the last 30 years of working in, in the mental um, health arena. It's that um, facts change. Uh, science is always uh, make changing its mind. Uh, it's, there's new research coming out that, that kind of challenges previous research. And so with this natural evolution, um, it's hard to sometimes go, well, that's the thing. And so if you ever hear somebody say, well, science has proven, well, you can stop them right there and say, hang on, you know, just clarify your grammar, like noun or verb. And, and then secondly, science doesn't prove anything. All that science does is conduct experiments to confirm or validate certain hypotheses or, or theories. So, so, so science is a little bit like, I don't know, if, if there was a glass of water here or chuck me a bottle of water um, just on the ground there. Um, a guy might come along and say, I believe that the liquid inside this bottle is water. And, and so that's my idea. And so in order to see whether or not my idea has any merit, I might need to conduct an experiment. So according to operational science, I need to be able to um, manipulate or observe, manipulate, and replicate. And, and so I'm going to extract 
the liquid out of this bottle and, and put it through the laboratory and, and see if it's got two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. And, and uh, I, 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 if the lab results come back, and, and, and indeed it's got two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, then, then as a proper, fully-fledged scientist engaging in, in um, empirical operational science, I would report in the international scientific literature According to the results that we have extracted, the uh, molecules inside this liquid uh, indeed are two-part hydrogen, one-part oxygen. So we conclude, therefore, that the liquid inside this bottle may be water. It's interesting because science always leaves room for another possible alternative explanation because it may be discovered down the track that there's another element in this water that couldn't be distracted using the technology and the sophistication that we have in this day and age, but later on we discover there's a new element in it that actually changes the structure. So yes, it might have had two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, but with another element it changes it altogether, so it's no longer water, it's qualibar. And what's qualibar? It hasn't been invented yet. It hasn't been discovered, so it's coming. <laughs> and, and so we're leaving room for another possible alternative explanation, and, that, and that's the way in which science works. So even though I might have rep re reported my, my data, um, my idea has now not become proven, it's become a theory. It's a fully-fledged theory, but that's all that ever it is, and that's all we're doing. We're, we're continually learning. But there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's the Word of God. And I think it's constantly fascinating to me that the advances that are being made in neuroscience and clinical psychology today continue to confirm and validate what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. Uh, that to me is a mystery for the scientific community as we go, we've made an amazing discovery. Oh, wait, like, oh, that you wrote about that for like, oh, well, but, but, oh, well, it can't be, you know, and we go on and we can, there's not a single empirical operational scientific discovery that's reported in the scientific literature that I'm aware of in the last 15 years in terms of all the landmark major, major discoveries that in any way even remotely contradicts that anything um, scripture has said. That's got to say something. Like, and I'm not talking about like evolutionary biology and all that kind of stuff. That's just a, th a theory. And it doesn't even qualify for operational science. Operational science is you need to observe the phenomena, you need to test the phenomena, and you need to be replicate the phenomena. And so, well, no one ever observed one species evolving into another. No one can um, manipulate it, and no one's ever been able to replicate it. And so it's, it's just a theoretical science. It's a historical science. It's, it's basically just posturing and, and pondering. But in the same vein, no one was ever there to witness the creation of the world. Uh, and so, you know, even Moses, who penned it, is said to have lived, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years um, later to, to describe the story of in the beginning. And so, as a result, that, that story is also not taught in the science classroom. So, if that story is not, doesn't qualify as operational science, well, why is the other being taught in the science classroom? They're, they're neither qualify. But when it comes to principles and being governed by those principles, um, I think one of the things that we can learn from our last session, especially when it comes to pressure, is that the nature of how we deal with our pressure is going to help us succeed. So I brought along in this bowl a trusty egg. And I'll often do an illustration. Um, we don't have time for it this morning, but I'll often invite somebody to the stage, usually the strongest, buffest-looking uh, person and uh, the muscliest, and I'll say, I want you to place this egg in the middle of your hand. And I want you to wrap your fingers and thumb over the egg so that the pressure is equally dispersed. And what I want you to do now is in front of us all, because you're really muscly, um, crush the egg. Like, crush it in your hand. And they're like, <laughs> egg, no worries. I can do this. <laughs> and they can't crush it. When the pressure is equally dispersed, the egg, which has such a fragile shell, becomes virtually impenetrable. Now, I say virtually, not entirely, because every now and again there's a de deformity or there's a crack, and, the, and it's a yes, we broke, we broke through. But um, in almost every case that I've done this, the person can't crush the egg when the pressure is equally dispersed. The principle from that is that if you are under pressure, if you're experiencing some kind of stress in your, in your life and you want to advance your mental uh, health and emotional well-being, well, learn to disperse the pressure. And how do we do that? 
Well, most simply in community or in relationship. So we're moving from healthy me to healthy we. When I go and I share my concerns with somebody, well, a problem shared, as the saying goes, is a problem halved. And so somebody else is going to help me shoulder the load. But we have to be going and speaking for the right reasons and in the right way to the right people, as we said before. It's not just a flashlight letting everybody know, oh, you won't believe I'm having all these problems and woe is me and having a whinge and a wipe and a gripe. No, what we want to do is go to the right person and seek advice or to seek some kind of debrief or to brainstorm, hey, could you help me? What, can I, what, could, what could we do to be able to resolve or effectively respond to this difficult situation that we're facing? And as, as we put the problem on the table, the problem becomes like an inanimate object. And that's what healthy relationships do, especially couples. If we're in a, a dynamic where I have an issue with our relationship dynamic, then more often than not, my finger becomes a pointing finger. And the relationship, the issue is really you own the issue. The issue is yours. You've got the problem. And, and so if you would just change, then we, we would be okay. And so the person is not just the problem, but they're also the solution. <laughs> You're the problem and the solution because if you would just change, then everything would be okay. So, so if you've got the problem and you fix the problem, then in our relationship will be. But healthy couples say, this is the problem. So let's put this on the table and let's come together and let's try and figure out how can we resolve that. I'm not pointing the finger at you. My battle is not against flesh and blood. My battle is there are principalities and powers at play here that want to come in and divide and conquer us. So rather than giving in to the enemy's ploy, let's just come together and say, so this thing here right now, it's not working. How can we make it work more functionally? How can we disperse the pressure, so to speak? If we don't disperse the pressure, if we continually have that one thought that runs through our mind just before we're going to bed at night, when, when we dream about it all night long, or that one thing that's just driving me crazy about you, it, it should be noted that one single point of pressure is easily able to penetrate. What, did you see how easy that was? I, I applied virtually no pressure. Weak eggs. The point is simply this, unpenetrable when pressure dispersed. So who are you dispersing your pressure with? I often encourage, especially men who don't have deep, sustaining relationships in the same way that women do, is to find four. And women just reduce 40 to four. <laughs> and so the idea is that four is like four corners of the picture frame over here, or four people on the edge of uh, the, I don't know, stretcher, uh, the stretcher bearers, if you will. And if you are in the middle of this frame or this picture or on the stretcher, hey, these people are there to help you. It's a little bit like the guy who was sitting on the side of the road and, and all of a sudden he would have seen these people streaming by and he would have said, where are you guys going? And the people would have said, oh, we're heading to Pete's place. Haven't you heard? Jesus, the healer guy is in town. And he's like, healer guy? And this guy is crippled. That's why he's sitting on the side of the road begging. And he's like, I need healing. Thank God he had four good mates. You know this story. Four good mates who were willing to do whatever it took to do what? To get him to Jesus. So please note, it wasn't a lawyer, a banker, a psychologist, and a medical doctor. It wasn't four good friends who were able to, I'll solve your medical bills, I'll solve your medical problems, and I'll solve your psychological. No, it was four people who were just willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus, such that when they got to Pete's place, packed out, no, no way in, full up. So they climb up onto the roof and bust a hole through the ceiling and lower him down. And I love what Jesus says. He says um, that their faith has has healed him. Uh, please note their faith, the faith of the four friends, not the guy's faith. The faith of the people who are willing to do whatever it took to get you to Jesus. My question is, have you got four people like that in your life? Who are the four people who aren't there to just commiserate, to go, oh, I'm so sorry, it must be so hard, so that we feel validated, although that's an important thing, but who are there to actually challenge you? Or well, have you prayed about that? Or can we pray about that? Or because if you're just here for a whinge and a wipe and a gripe, well, I don't want to be the rubbish dump where you just like, ee, 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 and you dump all over me. Like, I don't, I don't stop dumping. But if you're coming 
And you want to seek some kind of resolution, a solution, or if you want to pray about it, if we want to... And I know that that's a classic man thing to say, and many of you are sitting there right now, you're a typical man, always solution-focused, Mr. Fix-It, yep, here we go again. Look, us, we just need somebody to listen to us and validate. So hear me, it's very important to listen and to validate because that's the nurturing side. But if all we're ever doing is listening and validating, then you are setting yourself up for a fall. Oftentimes, there is this dynamic whereby if men, and this, I'm just stereotyping for a second, when we talk about healthy we, men, we are very ego-driven, very lots of pride. And so it, everything's a competition. And uh, so if one man says, oh, mate, you won't believe it, my wife, she just, she's a beaut kind of girl. She just like, like, she did this thing last night, whatever it might be, cooked, did something, took her out, took a, a surprise, uh, you know, whatever it might be. The, the, the conversation usually goes like that. Well, mate, that's nothing. <laughs> you should see my wife. She did it like this. And then, oh, no, no, no. Well, well, three years ago, so I was in this you know, place and we did this. And, and there's like, it's almost like this jostling for how awesome our wives are. You know where I'm going next, right? The stereotype of the females, oh, I can't believe my, my... He just like, when he eats... It's like I'm in a pig pen, and I don't want to be the prodigal son who's like, you know, literally sitting there going, "Oh, this is driving me." No, but like seriously, like, what's a, like, what is like, what that's, what's their problem? <laughs> you won't believe my husband. That's nothing. My and that's a competition in reverse, <laughs> where we start throwing stones and we go, "This is a dysfunctional human being." And the thing is, you're right. <laughs> we are dysfunctional. Um, but so is what's taking place in this conversation. And the stereotype is, no, we just, this is our debriefing. This is, let's just, what, this is what just women do. Well, then stop it. Because <laughs> it's destroying your marriage. It's destroying. When you dishonor your life partner by um, speaking out of the side of your mouth, words that you would not be prepared to say with them right there in the room... Um, then that right there is called gossip, and it's slander, and it's dishonor. Now, we're living in a day and age where not only does that happen behind closed doors with him not in the room, but nowadays it's like, oh, no, he's in the room. Yeah, yeah, that's nothing. You won't believe what he does. He just, and even with him sitting there, we are happy to just disparage um, him. And so that's, so I just want to say, that's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about dispersing the pressure. We're actually asking, who are the four people um, in my life that could actually speak into my life? And so that when you say, oh, I don't believe my husband, like, I just like, he's just so controlling. I think, you know, I saw this YouTube clip about the seven, how do you know if your husband's a narcissist? And he meets like five out of the seven <laughs> criteria. Here's what a great friend does. Have you spoken to him about that? Because before you speak to me, you should really... Oh, I could never talk to him like because he's narcissistic. You know, He'll just manipulate it, twist it, make it into whatever it is. Okay, so, um, so would you like me to speak to him about that? Oh, no, 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 don't you ever speak. Because like, you've got to keep my secret. Because like, that's, you know, because it's confidential information. Because if he finds out that... What finds out what? Sorry. That you're speaking in a disparaging way. And that he won't be happy about that. That this is dishonor. That this is... Oh, yeah, that would probably be a good reason why you would want to keep that secret. But when you say no, there's accountability here. If you've got an issue, don't just whinge and whine about it. Do something about it. Why? Because you are the captain of your ship. You are somebody who's either making or destroying this relationship. So what are we building here? Are we building resentment because of past hurt or past offense? Or are we building intimacy and trust by transparency and if it is difficult, and if there really is an issue, and if there is narcissism there, and just to point out, even though narcissism seems to be the flavor of the day, less than 1% of the population are narcissistic in terms of a diagnostic criteria. Less than 1%. So let's stop talking about it and start talking about, yeah, they're human. Yes, they're self-oriented and self-centered. So am I. And we all are. And yes, Unless we're able to bring somebody to Jesus, then they're going to go more and more in that direction. So let's take this inanimate issue and stop, stop pointing fingers and put it on the table and say, how can we resolve this so that we have a better functional relationship moving forward? And this is not just for husbands and wives. 
This is for co-workers at work. This is for um, parents and children or for you and in-laws or for the neighbors over the fence that are driving you crazy. Like, what can we effectively do to be principle-driven in our lives? And I think this is so important because part and parcel of this, um, of this life is that we are busy. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm busy. Like I'm juggling many balls um, all of the time. And there, there's lots of different types of balls. I've, I've got five children. Yes, please pray for me. I need all the help that, that I can get. And, and, and I travel a lot for ministry. And, um, and so we do different types of ministry. We're working in war zones and natural disaster areas with or people who survived human trafficking and we're doing trauma rehabilitation or we're speaking in churches or, or in conferences or, or with businesses and building businesses and then we're counseling people and so well we're juggling so many balls and then then we've got to take care of our own you know physical well-being got got to get time to to, to you know um work rest and play like the Mars bar ad and and so so we've got to do all these things so I'm always juggling but not all balls are made from the same thing. I read this um, in a book um, that I read from flying from Amsterdam to Zurich. So it's a short distance, one hour. And the book was a thin book, and the book was called The One Thing. I only got one thing out of reading that book. And it wasn't even by the author. It was this example, that all high-performance leaders are always juggling many balls in the air, but not all balls are made from the same thing such that if you drop the ball called work, it's made from rubber, it will bounce back. Tomorrow, there will be more work. But if you're juggling and you accidentally drop the ball, oh, oh, oh I, that was, sorry, it was meant to land on the table. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so if you drop the ball called health or relationship, um, it doesn't bounce back so well and the carpet doesn't clean so well either so let me just get it before it starts to <coughs> smell and soak and okay we got the majority of it that's a opportunity for somebody in the next break just saying <laughs> sorry <laughs> point being um when we don't prioritize the things that really matter it's really hard to get it back once it's past that point once the diagnosis is given, it's really hard to recover from that point. Once the, the separation has kicked in, um, it's really hard to rescue that relationship because separation is otherwise referred to as practicing divorce. And uh, so oftentimes we, we say, well, we're just having a trial separation. Let me save you the, the, the time. It, it works. If you're trialing it to see if it works. Oh, it works. 90% separations end up in divorce. Um, why, don't, why don't you trial a marriage? Like, trial that. Like, in, instead of disconnecting because this is not working, well, why don't you trial reconnecting and, and actually get it to work and, and so actually find the solutions for the issue as opposed to just complaining about it and go, I need a break from this because it's driving me crazy. But if something's driving you crazy, if there's a pebble in your shoe, well, don't throw the shoe away. Stop, take the shoe off, examine the issue, find the pebble, remove the pebble, put the shoe back on because the shoe is still good. And so what can we do practically to transition from healthy me into healthy we? And so I, I liken um, a, a relationship with anybody, as we said before, this could be, you know, work colleague, friend, um, or, or relationship romantically, as being a little bit like climbing this mountain. If you're not familiar with this mountain, this is the mountain on the packet of Toblerone. It's the, uh, it's the Matterhorn. It's one of the most famous mountains in, in all of Switzerland. And, um, and a, a husband and a wife, let's just use this stereotype for, for, for the moment, and I, I do say stereotype, um, are, are like two people who are endeavoring to go on an adventure. Uh, we want to go places in, in our relationship. We want to we reach the summit of what we could, all that we could be. Um, and so we are tied by the rope of perhaps holy matrimony or the, the rope of friendship or the rope of, of blood in terms of your, your my family, um, or we're tied by the organization that we both work for. And so what typically happens is that, um, let's, just, let's just call, just for stereo, just stereotyping, okay, just qualify fine print. This is Mr. Logical because he's always got a solution for you. Um, you know, 
he'll, he'll tell you how to stack the dishwasher better than what you're doing it, even though he's never stacked it in his life. You know who I'm talking about? Like, Mr. Logical, I, I got a solution for everything. And, and then let's just call her um, Mrs. Emotional. Um, not, <laughs> once again, it's just a stereotype because, you know, she's very sensitive and in touch with her feelings. And, and so in a classic dynamic, stereotypically speaking, before I get myself into too much trouble, Mr. Logical says, hey, sweetheart, um, I, I, I see the best way to the summit. It's an even 45-degree gradient, and if we pace ourselves, I reckon we'll make it to the summit by, by early afternoon. Uh, Mrs. Emotional, uh, she chimes in. She says, yeah, okay, I hear that, but I'm feeling a bit tired, and, and I see I have a different perspective, and my way is not as steep as your way. And so I reckon we should go this way. And even though it's steeper towards the end, at least I'll get to rest and, and relax, you know, a bit before we make the final ascent to the summit. To which Mr. Logical says, no, 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 um, uh, sweetheart, um, you didn't hear what I said. Um, it, this is an even 45 degree gradient. So if we pace ourselves, we'll make it um, there by, by early afternoon. Whereas if we take your way, the higher up we get, the thinner the... So he's got all of the information now because he watched the documentary on the Discovery Channel and he's like, you know, so the higher up you go, the thinner the air, the, the, the altitude is higher, therefore the oxygen is thinner and, and so therefore um, you're going to be more tired. And so even though you think you're relaxing, by the time you reach here, um, you won't have the energy to make the final ascent for the summit. So sweetheart, this right here is the best way to the top. To which Mrs. Emotional says... You're not listening to me. I said I'm feeling tired. To which Mr. Logical says, no, you're not listening to me. If you would just hear the logic of this, then we'd be able to, to see the dynamic that's happening. Oftentimes when we've got what we refer to as an impasse or an impossible um, situation, um, we have to understand that if, if, if one of these um, lose, they both lose. So when it comes to healthy we, we're asking the question, how can we both win? Because, you know, if he says, the Bible says the husband is the spiritual head of the house. So you, we, we are I'm making an executive decision right now. And I am forcing us to go this way. And as he forces his way, because they're tied by a rope, she will be pulled off the ledge. The moment she falls, well, because they're tied by rope, he will fall too. One person loses, they both lose. Or the alternative is, she's, well, you want to go that way? Fine. Me, I'm not going anywhere. Three days later, they were found frozen to the side of the mountain. One person loses, the other person loses. So how, how is it that we could both win? Well, all too often in our day and age, we say compromise. You know, just go a different way to the top. But that's where they both lose and both don't get their way. I wonder if there might be a manner or a possibility, a way, if you will, where one person could actually get their way and the other person would also like that way. In other words, how do you win an argument every time, hands down, guaranteed, and the other person be happy with that? Like genuinely happy because that's what they actually want. Is that possible? <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's just let's 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 figure this out. How can you get what you want, or how can you get the other person to give you what you want and then be happy about doing so? In order to consider this, um, how do we resolve conflict or how do we resolve issues? What we really need to do is come up with an action plan. An action plan that is a little bit like um, a recipe. And, and every time I watch cooking shows, I, I don't know if you are a fan of cooking shows, it seems to be all that's ever good on Australian TV. And, and, it, and it doesn't matter if it's, um, I don't know, the, the master chef or um, Gordon Ramsay, the swearing chef, or Jamie Oliver, the naked chef. And uh, look, I'm not suggesting that if you just get naked and start swearing, it's going to improve your relationship, although, <laughs> although you never know. Um, but all of these chefs, they seem to follow a particular procedure. 
And the first thing that they do is that they specify the goal from the outset. So, for example, if we were to take the French chef, the French chef might say, uh, Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight we're going to be cooking a cheesecake. <laughs> and they specify the end result before they've even begun. In any kind of relational dynamic, when we're having an argument or an, there's an issue, oftentimes we just skip that point. Let's go into the kitchen where things are heating up in the kitchen and let's just see what happens. What? We've got to be crazy. Like, why would you do that? What if we went into the kitchen with a strategic purpose and we specified what the purpose was in advance? We are cooking a salad or we're going to be cooking braised chops or we're going to be... What are we doing in the kitchen? Because if things are heating up in the kitchen, well, don't just get out of the kitchen. No, make something. Do something with it. Like if things are heating up in the kitchen, that's a good thing because when the oven is hot, you can actually cook things and make something good from it. Remember, not all stress is bad. How do we harness it to our advantage? If there are strong emotions involved, well, great. Well, let's use them to our advantage, but lower them a little bit so we can get some logic back in there as well. It has to be a balance of the sensitivity, the emotional sensitivity, but actually finding solutions so that we can make our relationship better. What are you cooking? Start with the goal specified. Hey, let's have a discussion with this to, about this to see if we can come up with a resolution for X, whatever X might be. So that you're going into the discussion with X on the table to see if we can brainstorm. So that that's the target. And so that every time it starts going off, because relationships are like soap. And when soap gets wet, the moment you try to control it and squeeze it, it slips out of your hand. And so what typically happens is, we make one slight exaggeration, and, and it goes like this. Man, I'm just sick and, so sick and tired because you always do this. And we just said always. We just exaggerated it a little bit. And then the other person all of, all of a sudden becomes a stickler for the truth and says, that's not true. We don't, I don't always do that. Like at least last Tuesday I didn't. And we kind of put our hand up and say there was one occasion where always is disqualified. And then this person chimes in, well, what about what happened in 1973 when that thing that... And we're, now we're bringing up issues from the past that you still haven't let go of and forgiven. Like, what's going on here? It's just soap. Every time you try to exert pressure and you squeeze it, it slips out and it goes to a different topic. And then you slip it and then it goes into a different topic, such that at the end, you realize, what are we actually talking about in this argument? We started talking about that thing on the table all the way over there, but it's so digressed. So when you have a goal in advance, we are cooking cheesecake. And that's the goal. We can bring each other back onto, onto task. Hey, rem but, but remember this, this is what we're here for. Like, like well, let, that's probably write it down. We need to come back and talk about that another time. But this right here is the goal for this conversation. Specify the goal. The other thing that the chefs do is because it's TV cooking, um, they don't have time to, you know, go and find the ingredients. So, so, so you know, like, it, it's, it's not like the, the, you know, probably it's the way I cook. I'm like, you know, hey, sweetheart, you, where's, the, where's the powdered cocoa? Like, if you, I can't find it anywhere because I'm searching. She's like, oh, just, just use coffee. It's the same color. No, no it, <laughs> it, it's not going to work very well. And so what you notice is that the TV chefs always have the ingredients pre-prepared on the table. And, and, and not only is it there ready to just pour in, like it's all pre-measured. Uh, 200 grams of sugar is already in the bowl. So when they say we're going to add 200 grams of sugar, they just pick up the sugar and pour it in because there's no time on TV to find the, where's the sugar, sugar, okay, there's the sugar, okay, get the weight, measure everything, and blah, blah, blah. oh, that's too much, and I need to put some, there's no time for that on TV. So it's, everything is pre-prepared. So when you're walking into a, a, a difficult conversation that you need to have, pre-prepare, not just what the goal is, but what are the key points that I want to communicate, the things that are important to me, but also they're going to have some key points and I need to be able to listen to them. Listen to them in a way that is not me just having my turn of silence. And while they're talking, I'm thinking of how I'm going to, what I'm going to say to discount what they're going to say. No, no, no. Uh, there are three things that I want to get uh, on the table and then I want to pay careful attention to seek first to understand what it is that you are talking about so that I can put that on the table as well, so we can consider all the options and come up with a successful resolution. Not only that, but there's strategy. The chef never says, we're going to mix some things together, see what happens. <laughs> no, no, they say, we're going to take the egg and separate the egg yolk from the egg white. We're going to mix the egg white, make it light and fluffy. 
we're going to fold in the sugar so make sure it does not uh, stop the, the fluffiness of the egg. You know what I'm saying, right? You understand? Oh, it's not. Uh, so, so the idea is that there's a strategy. We're not just mixing stuff. We're mixing it in a particular way. We're folding it in so it doesn't take the air bubbles out of the egg yolk that's been whisked. And, and so what we want to do is make sure that when we are having this argument, we're employing a particular strategy. And it's, of course, important to have a recipe. Uh, don't use coffee instead of coffee. Chocolate. You know, let's make sure that we stick to the recipe. So here's the recipe. There are three simple steps. Um, in fact, I might draw a line down the middle here. And um, this, is, this is how to win an argument every time. Anybody interested? <laughs> Anybody wishing your partner right here wasn't like, wish they weren't sitting next to me right now? Because like I could, but here's the deal. This is for you both. If you can employ a particular strategy and you understand that if you win, they have to win too. Because if you win but they lose, you both lose. So when I say how to win an argument, first time, every time, hands down, guaranteed, you both have to win. Let me re-ask the question. Anyone want to learn how to win an argument every time? Okay, pay attention. This is going to be the ingredients list, and this is going to be the instructions list of how we can, um, uh, you know, do it in the right way. You know, grease the tin in advance, put the oven on 180 degrees in advance, let the oven heat up, not put stuff in as the, you know, all the instructions that make it better. And there are only three ingredients to this, so it's a very simple plan. And the first ingredient, so in fact, if we were to make a cake, what three ingredients would we need? We would need flour, sugar, and some kind of liquid or moisture. So either butter, which would be shortbread, or, or milk, that would be... Um, but here's the point. If, if we just use milk and eggs and use no flour, we don't end up with cake, we end up with custard. So, so let's make sure that we, if we're going to employ this, we use all three ingredients. There will be a temptation to get to two and go, this ain't working, and bail. No, no, it's because you haven't put the flour in yet. It's all three ingredients are required. Step number one is to simply ask the question, why? So help me understand, why do you feel so strongly about whatever it is that we are talking about? And your instruction is to focus on the feeling. Please note, no argument is ever about the topic. Because if it was about the topic, it would be called a discussion. But, but the fact that it's an argument means that there is emotion involved now. And so we want to identify what is that emotion. No argument is ever about the topic. It's always about the feeling underneath the topic that drives it. And if you can address that feeling, you can resolve the problem. Help me to understand why you feel so strongly about this, focused on the feeling. And as the person says, well, because, and they give you all of their explanation. In fact, let me put this into a practical example. Let me, let me give you an argument that my wife and I once had, um, a legitimate concern that was, that was put on the table. And, uh, and that is because um, the ministry that I'm involved in takes me overseas um, all the time, I don't want to be uh, an expert talking about family, but who's never with my family. And so we've tried all sorts of different options. We traveled together as a family for a number of years, took a nanny with us, and we're homeschooling. We spent three months in, in Europe, three months in America, three months back in Australia, kind of hit repeat. And, and then um, we trialed where um, we would live in Europe. We lived in Europe for three years, so it's shorter distance to everywhere we go. And so for, for the last um, little while, um, wherever I go, I usually travel with um, one of my family members. So um, she would have come with me or I would take um, one of the kids. So right now I have my daughter, my youngest child, um, Jasmine, who's in, uh, hanging out with your kids in the kids section um, here this weekend. And so we're always connected in some way together. And so the kids would always line up and take turns. And so a number of years ago, I was heading to Ukraine and uh, so I said, I, so I guess it's, um, I guess it's uh, Charlie, who was uh, five at the time, I, and she is uh, adorable, cute little blondie. I guess it's Charlie's turn to come with me, to which my wife said, <laughs> over my dead body. 
Like, you are not taking our child to the human trafficking capital of the world, and what are you doing there? Oh, you're lecturing and helping people who have recovered? Like, the best way for the human traffickers to get back at our family for the intervention work that we're doing is to, of course, traffic our own child. So, yeah, I don't think so. Now, it was pre-war, it wasn't dangerous in that context, and, you know, Ukraine is somewhere where I had been uh, before and still uh, I'm continuing to, to go to, and so I had a different view. No, it's not that dangerous, you're just overreacting, and she's like, no, you're underthinking, this is stupid, like, this is, this is insensitive, like, this is not, and so we, we're at an impasse, and, and you might already be taking sides. Um, you might be, yeah, that is stupid, and you might be going, yeah, no, you stand up, like, because that's the... The, the point of the matter is not, not, not who's morally right, but how do we resolve this in a way that we're not throwing stones at each other, that we can honour each other in the process. And so I simply said, so help me to understand why it is you feel so strongly about our daughter not going over to, with me to Ukraine. And she said, well, she gave to me both barrels. Like, she let me know in no uncertain terms, like, this is a stupid idea, and for all of the reasons that I just explained. And so my response now has to be to paraphrase her answer. Now, the word paraphrase comes from the word parrot phrase. Maybe, maybe not, but let's just pretend. Because if you say to a parrot, cocky, want a cracker? It never says, yes, please. It just repeats the same thing back to you. Cocky, want a cracker? Cocky, want a cracker? And that's all we're doing here. So all I want to do is I want to paraphrase what she has said back to her in my own words so as to validate what she's saying. I want to communicate to her, hey, your perspective and the way that you feel especially, it's really important. And so I don't want to dismiss it. I don't want to say, you're just crazy. You're overreacting. I don't want to be judgmental and point the finger and start accusing. I actually want to receive it and acknowledge that it is valid. So I said, so if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that you feel really anxious about me taking my daughter over to Ukraine because that's where, you know, a lot of human trafficking takes place and you're concerned for the well-being and the welfare of, of our daughter, i.e. as to whether or not she's going to be safe while she's with me. Have I understood you correctly? To which she's like, yes, you finally got it. It doesn't look like that this is in any way going towards a win-win scenario at the moment. But I don't know if you picked it. We just changed the problem. What was the original problem? I wanted to take my daughter to Ukraine. What did my wife want? Well, for her not to go to Ukraine. And so we have an impasse because if she goes, one of us is going to lose. She will lose. And if she stays, one of us is going to lose. I lose. So it's an unwinnable situation. So what do we do? Will we change the problem then to become a winnable situation? So the real problem, as we said before, no argument is ever about the topic. It's about the emotion underneath the topic. And so I've asked, help me to understand why is it that you feel so strongly? And so she told me. And then I said, watch for it now. So if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that you feel really anxious about me taking my daughter because you don't know if she's going to be safe. Is that correct? And she says, yes, that's the heart of the argument. That is the issue. She doesn't feel confident. She doesn't have a peace. She feels anxious that our daughter won't be safe. So when it comes to coming up with a solution right now, remember, we need to focus on a win-win solution where she wins and I win. And how do you do that when it's an impossible thing? We change the problem. To what? To being about the emotion. So I'll simply say, so what kind of solution do you think that we could come up with that would help you feel at ease, completely at peace and confident that our daughter was safe? and that wherever we went together, that there was checks and balances in place to ensure her security. Like, what would it actually take? Like, what would, what would it take for you to say, okay, I'd be happy for her to go? Now, I think in her answer, she mentioned the FBI, the CIA 007, like all these people to have to go with us and, you know, AK-47s and, you know, all the rest, you know, but full bodyguards. Are, and I'm saying, so, okay, so I don't know if you notice, but um, she just said there would be a way it just doesn't seem very logical or realistic for me to be able to fulfill that way, but there is a way. Also, what's happening here in this dynamic is that I'm not 
offering the first solution. So please note the classic stereotype of the man is to be able to go, well, what, if, what about this? What if I, okay, so I could, you know, I've got friends in the, the, the special forces and, you know, I could, you know, do a sweep of the area and I could do this, that and the other and, and nothing I say is going to be palatable. In the same way, in counseling, if I give advice, hey, all you need to do is this, this, and this, just a little bit like we did before, you, chances are you're sitting back going, yeah, easy for you to say, you don't know, and you were coming up with objections all of the time, as opposed to leading you on a journey where you go, well, what if I did this? What if I got up early tomorrow morning and I went for a walk in the early morning sunshine and fresh air? I go, that would be a great idea. Because here's what would happen. Bang, 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 bang. You'd change all these physiological components. And then what if, you know, every time the temptation came, you said 15 minutes. What if I put on my favorite worship music in my headphones as I was walking? And, and, and what if I started thinking about what, what has God done in my life? What happened today that I could be thankful for? And I count five blessings. And what if I could start thinking about doing something nice for somebody else, take the spotlight off myself and be a blessing to somebody? You're just doing a thought exercise. That right there is a game changer for the mental instability that you're currently wrestling with. But if you come up with those solutions, as opposed to me telling you what you should do, you are much more likely to engage and follow through than if it's just advice coming from me, because you'll make objections. In the same way, so newsflash, men, stop. Stop with the solution. Never offer the first solution. So what kind of solution do you think we can come up with? I say we, but I really mean you. That would help you feel, focusing on the feeling, um, uh, uh, quite okay. That, that there would be, your daughter would be safe for her to go. Like, what would be required to happen? And, and so we know from this that the person who bargains second is always more powerful. Let me explain. If you're at the local markets down in Penrith on the weekend and you go to the old record store and you go, oh man, that, that old record from like way back, I'd love to buy that for my sister. Uh, her birthday is coming up. And, and so you say to the vendor, hey, um, I'll give you 30 bucks for this record. Is that what you would say? You would never say that to the vendor. What would you say to the vendor? How much? You get him to make the first offer or her to make the first offer. Why? Because the person who barked in second is always more powerful. And let's just say the vendor says, oh, 30 bucks. You get 30 bucks? That's what, that's what it costs to buy an album now. Like, this is an old record from the 1970s. Like, it's all used and scratched and all the... Like, the cover is fading. Like, okay, so I'll give you 15. And, and the vendor might say, nah, but 20. Oh, great. Well, you just got 10 off. But the idea is that you don't want to always be shooting from the hip going, here's solution, solution, solution. We're not wanting to be solution focused. We're wanting to be process oriented. So help me to understand what could we do that would create a win for you and also a win for me. In other words, what would it take for you to genuinely feel okay with me taking my daughter overseas? And when she gave me those examples, I go, okay, so, so it seems as though the FBI and the CIA and 007 might be a little bit out of my reach. But let me give you a counter. What if I developed a schedule with the pastors of the church over there and made sure that she was never on her own with one person, but there was always two people uh, who were with her. And then we had a schedule that had 15-minute intervals of where she would be at every time, which, which is on premises with me, always not letting her out of my sight, like all of the checklists involved. And she's like, that's a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, but I'd be willing to do it if you would be willing to. Um, I know, and I know it's going to take some courage because it's still, there's still anxiety there to let go and, and trust that your daughter's going to be okay. But I'll do everything within my capacity um, to, to address your needs. And it, so long as you can do everything within your capacity to also address your needs. And so, because we changed the problem before, whose problem are we talking about? Her, her problem. What's the problem? She's anxious that her, her daughter's going to be okay. So we're now problem-solving together about her anxiety, not about whether or not the daughter goes. It's like, how can we address this? Because there's going to be a future trips as well to places that we have questions about. And the truth of the matter is, you can go and walk across the street today. I can be walking with my daughter and the bus comes out of nowhere. Bad things can happen. You can play worship music all morning and then you take a shower, you slip, you bang your head, dead, D-E-D, -E -D, dead. Life's dangerous. But, but what can we do to, so as to minimize the risk and mitigate that risk wherever possible? And so we came up with a 
solution. And now the onus is on me to follow through on the agreement that I have made, that I will do all of this and make sure, because if I don't, then trust is broken for the future when we want to have, I don't want to win the argument because I want to be a winner. I don't want to win the argument because I want my daughter to come with me on this trip. No, I, I, I want to make sure that we have a win-win so that I can take my sons and daughters on any trip and their mother is going to be okay with this process because I am nurturing not just the child, I'm nurturing her feelings in the process and trying to be considerate and understanding of a different perspective. Long story short, my daughter came with me to Ukraine. But it almost didn't end well. So as we came to, uh, to London after Ukraine, um, we flew um, via Heathrow before coming back to Australia. Um, I was travelling on a British passport because I was born in England and my daughter was travelling on an Aussie passport. And I thought, it could actually look a little bit strange, like a grown man travelling with a young five-year-old cute blonde girl from the human trafficking capital of the world. <clears throat> so I thought this could look a little bit suspicious, especially because we're travelling on two different national passports. And so I scooped her up and put her on my hip uh, so as to communicate subconsciously, we are together. And uh, we went up to the immigration official, presented the two different passports, and the immigration official looked at the two different passports, looked at us, looked at the two different passports, and then said to my daughter, and who is this man? To which my daughter said, I don't know. And I tell you, my life flashed before my eyes. I'm like, what? No, you can't say that. And so I tickled her and she laughed. And thank God the immigration official laughed as well. Because I'm telling you, it was close calling. I almost didn't bring my daughter home. It's important to follow through on the solution that we arrive at. All that to say, this is just a principle. There's hidden principles within the scenario, don't believe me that this works. Just give it a go. And if you find that your spouse, who, or your son or daughter, or whoever is um, in this hall right now, um, when you say, okay, so help me to understand why is it that you feel so strongly about that? And they say, hang on, you're doing that thing on me right now. <laughs> say, yes, because I want to find a solution where we both can win. Will you work with me? It's not a bad thing that they're here learning the strategy. In fact, the person who uses it first always has a slight little upper edge. So get in there quickly. Lower the emotion. The more emotional get, the less intelligent you become. So let's become more intelligent by lowering the emotion and simply going through the process. You can do this blindfold and backwards. It could be three o'clock in the morning and you, can't even, you don't even think about it and all of a sudden you wake up and you're freezing cold because like... They have taken the covers again. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's the tuck and roll. It's like the, uh, and then tuck it in and then you roll over and you take all of the covers off. And then you're, and so you're like, normally you'd grab the covers and you'd be like, give me some back of yours. Yours like just, yours still in the covers and we're accusing and we're frustrated. Stop. Make cheesecake. Help me to understand, why is it that you feel so strongly about taking all of the covers? <laughs> because I'm feeling cold. It's cold. It's, it's Penrith. Or it's summer and the air conditioning is on. It's still cold. And, and so if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that you're feeling cold. Is that correct? Yes. What kind of solution do you think that we could come up with that will help you feel warm, but that will also help me feel warm? To which she'll give some of the covers back. But remember, the person who bargains second is always more powerful. And I've got a much better idea of how we could get warm at 3 o'clock in the morning. But that's a seminar for another day. I'll leave it right there. Wishing you all the best. See you soon.